it'll make me feel like marketplace on NPR. Well, but there's a prerequisite, right? Like you have to take algebra one before algebra two before calculus. Those are today's guests. Us. Welcome to Music Ed Insights. I'm Alan Fire here with Steve Shanley. Usually, each episode, Alan and I talk with national thought leaders in music education with practical insights for K-12 music educators. Today, Steve and I have questions for you. We have eight questions that we'd love to hear your answers to. Check them out and then send us your responses. Let's get to it. So soon, we want to invite your feedback, your thoughts, your responses. You can write us. You can record a sound clip any way that you want to reach us. More about that later. So my first question is, how have students been rewired since COVID? What do you mean rewired? How are students different? How do we have to do things differently to reach students now than we did before COVID? And do we see any differences in them now, two years later? I like that. One of my questions I'm curious for the listeners relates to that. I want to know what aspect of their job they are doing the most differently as a result of COVID. Either a philosophical change they've made, or it could just be a procedural change, something that COVID forced them to do differently. And they're like, yeah, this is okay. Yeah. I wonder if there are uh, some different standards for things or if there are different classroom procedures. Yeah. That'll be interesting. Here's another one. Beth Fortune talked about bringing in non-classical, non-Western music into our classrooms to do a unit at a time with different styles of music. Sounded really cool, but I wonder how realistic that is. So would you do that in your classroom in a secondary or a junior high situation? Um, And how how do you think you could accomplish that? Yeah. And I suppose the challenges some people might have with that are, well, what am I going to give up? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to do that? What would have to be sacrificed in order to do that? Or maybe some of our listeners would say, yeah, I could do that and it would be no sacrifice at all. Yeah, be interesting to know. You mentioned secondary performance ensembles. For me, secondary is anything that's not elementary. So I, for the purposes of this episode, when we say secondary, I'm thinking fifth, sixth grade and and up. So beginning, Mm -hmm. middle, high school, band orchestra choir. So do those secondary performance ensembles lend themselves to the best possible music education experiences, in particular at the high school level? I'm wondering if a student wants to join band, but they haven't played before and they're in 11th grade. Is that really serving the students? And how do you do it? If you do it, how do you do it in a way that does serve the students? the student interested in the students around them. And if your answer to that is no, like I'm not going to do that, then what's your justification for, I'm sorry, I really am only going to teach the students in 11th grade who have been playing their instrument for six years. Yeah. Yeah. If that's what you do, why do you do it? Math teachers don't get to do that. The student is in 11th grade math and they haven't been very good at math or done any math. Like they they don't get to decide, no, sorry, not not teaching you. (laughs) Well, but there's a prerequisite, right? Like you you have to take, you know, algebra one before algebra two before calculus. So yeah, calculus. I'm saying math teacher has a new student move in. They haven't passed any math classes. So they got to take ninth grade basic math or whatever as an 11th grader. And I'm saying that math teacher can't say, well, I'm sorry, you didn't have enough math in middle school. I'm not going to teach you this content. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Jasmine Fripp was one of my favorite guests, and she talked about that perfectionism theme in the very specific context of white supremacist culture, that one thing that holds us back 
is that white supremacy culture dictates perfectionism, getting everything just right, going to contests, being solid competitively, playing music from the Western canon. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that terminology as well as that assertion? And feel free, you can uh, let us know if you wish to remain anonymous, if you are afraid about the critical race theory, people coming after you about the guilt, if you have some strong opinions on that. But yeah, that forced me to think about a lot of that too. Things that I had sort of just taken for granted as being the way, talking to her, I'm like, oh, no, I'm that's just the white way <laughs> of, of doing things. Yeah. Somebody who assists us with this podcast, my director of operations, Rachel, she spent part of her childhood in Africa and has talked a little bit about just think things just different there. Not not better, not worse, just different. And so we really do have a, a singular lens here. So I just wonder how people feel about using that terminology and that assertion. Another question I have, I'm curious, the most exhausting part of your job as a music teacher and you have to pick one very specific thing, the thing that drains the gas tank more than anything else. I wonder if you'd have a pre-COVID answer to that and a post-COVID answer to that. If, if that's changed, if that's evolved, maybe there's not much point in talking about the before times because we are now in the current times. But there's a lot of people struggling out there. And it's tough. And it'd be interesting to find out exactly what's tough because that's how you can get closer to a solution if there is one. I would say similar, and this might also have pre and post COVID, and and it might be the the same answers, but also might attract a different a different listener. If you're thinking about quitting teaching, or you did quit teaching, and for whatever reason are still listening to a podcast about teaching, uh, <laughs> what was the biggest reason that you quit? And again, you got to pick the one thing. What just what puts you over the edge or what is about to put you over the edge that if you decide you don't want to do this anymore as a profession, why? I like it. You're a harsh master, Dr. Shanley. It's got to be one. Uh, that's that would be hard for me, but it can be done. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that focus. One more question from me. Is it your responsibility as an informed, thoughtful music educator? Is it your responsibility? to have an influence on your peers, to work hard to influence your profession with your fellow teachers in your area to take a closer look at their ways and maybe even change their ways? I started smiling as you read that question because I just recently was telling my undergraduate music education students, when you're out in a field experience, student teaching or whatever, you are not allowed to have any opinion on anything. You just sit there and listen. Uh, they don't want to hear your thoughts as an inexperienced 20-year-old on what music education should look like. So save those to, to talk to me. And so as you were asking that, I was just flashing back to thinking about that. So then I would ask myself, at what age are you allowed to start influencing other people's philosophy on teaching? Do you need to be teaching 10 years and then you can have an informed philosophy and you can start? Or, or should the 20-year-olds with no teaching experience be trying to shape the philosophies of people who've been doing it 25 years? It might be more about the role in the moment than it would be the years of experience. If I'm supposed to go to a practicum, and watch Diana Blake teach eighth grade band so I can learn how she teaches eighth grade band. 
that's probably not time for me to talk to her about how Tacademia is a better, um, a better counting system. But if it's my very first year of teaching and I'm on staff with somebody who's been teaching for 20 years, and I think Takadibi is revolutionary, then I think it's okay because we're co-teachers at that point. So listeners, if any of those particular prompts float your boat, please contact us. You can reach us through our website uh, or our Facebook page or Twitter. You could email us. Email addresses are on the Facebook page, www.musicedinsights.com. You could even email us a sound clip if you want your voice to be on the podcast. We really do want to hear from you uh, and your answers to these questions. And we really do want your voice on our podcast as well, because it will make it feel more like a real podcast. <laughs> that's a, a good point. <laughs> it'll make me feel it'll make me feel uh, feel like marketplace on NPR. <laughs> like, yeah, we have listeners. And they care enough to share their voices with us. Yes. And if you don't hear the follow-up episode to this here within the next few weeks, it means nobody sent us anything. But we'll still have some great guests, right? We will still have some great guests. No shortage of great guests in the future. You've been listening to Music Ed Insights. Please support this podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing it. We want to make this as thoughtful and practical as possible. Please send us your ideas for guests and suggestions for improvement. You can do that through our website, www.musicedinsights.com. You can also reach us on our Facebook page, Music Ed Insights, or via Twitter, at Music Ed Insights. Our website is also the place to find program notes, links, and a one-page download of this episode's key takeaways. That's www.musicedinsights.com insights.com. This podcast is sponsored and supported by Normal Design, Winterset Websites, Group Dynamic, and the Co-College Music Education Program. Learn more about them at our website. And let us know if your business or organization would like to join that list. New episodes drop every two weeks on Monday mornings. Get current. Stay relevant. Music Ed Insights.